Happy holidays, guys and gals. This is Biohacking Life Hacking Q&A podcast number 20. We've got some interesting questions here. I hope that you're keeping up a, a modicum of your biohacking during the holiday seasons when we are all so tempted by all the delectable things that our friends and family are are offering us. So a few things I need to mention real quick. What you listen to in this podcast and what you find on my website is not medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I'm just an experienced, unlicensed, self-experimenter practicing free speech here in talking about my own extensive experiences and my interpretations of published science. I'd urge you to check out my guide on how to biohack smart and safe. This is actually one of my most popular articles. I go really in depth. I've got some cool infographics explaining risk, strategy, and the all the different things that you should consider when you're taking your when you're taking some risks doing biohacking and you should consult a doctor about any biohacking that you're doing and ideally get a second or third opinion and then i also want to mention a service that i offer i call it skin in the game and this is an accountability service There's a lot of people that find my YouTube videos or my articles, my website. Maybe they've read stuff that I've put out on Medium or Minds.com. And they've got some big challenge in their life. And they're looking at these shortcuts that I'm talking about. They're looking at the, the smart drugs and the nootropics as tools to deal with the challenges that they have been bashing their heads against for a while, frustratingly. And the tools that I'm talking about here, the smart drugs, they can certainly help. But a lot of times what you need is you need some accountability. You need a plan, an action strategy. You need specific habits implemented in your life that you are practicing with discipline. And you may not have the willpower to do that. And you may be thinking, okay, so it's about to be the year 20. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set some New Year's resolutions for myself, and then I'm going to talk to my family members, my loved ones, those close to me, maybe my business partners or colleagues, and I'm going to have them hold me accountable to my goals and to my habits and to the things that I'm trying to do and it's going to be my best year yet. And I suggest that you give that a a second thought actually because in a lot of cases it's really not fair to go to your loved ones, those close to you, your family, and put the pressure on them to put pressure on you. This adds a new kind of attention and friction to those relationships. And that is maybe not something that those people have agreed to or consented to when they decided to be in a relationship with you. And that may 
may rob some of the relationships that do replenish you from the tranquility that is important to them. That's why I suggest if you're serious about making 2019 a big year for you, get some professional help. Hire a coach to support you and keep you accountable to what your goals are. And that's what I'm offering. I have this program. I guess it's kind of like life coaching, but it's different than a lot of the life coaching offers that are out there because I'm not going to get on phone calls with you every week for hours and hours and talk to you about your your childhood and talk to you about, uh, you know, get deep, deep into your psychology. What we do with this is I get on a phone call with you, an initial one-hour phone call. We talk about what your challenges are, what you want to accomplish, what is obstructing that, and we put together a very specific action plan going forward, and we put together habits that you're going to practice to reach the goals that you have, and then you use the app. You use the really excellent software platform, coach.me, and I monitor you daily on that to make sure that you're doing what you need to be doing. And then after 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days, we schedule another 45-minute call to check in and see how you're doing, if you're accomplishing your goals, if you're feeling better. And it's a, it's like a bare boned. It's like a very lean approach to coaching because I have so much information on my website, on my YouTube channel that I often encourage people just go and read this article, just go and watch this video or check out this book and then implement what's in there. And then I follow you very closely to make sure that you're doing what you need to be doing. And this allows me to kind of coach at scale. It allows me to work with multiple people. So I suggest that you go to a form on my website that I'll be linking wherever you're listening to this podcast. And on this form, it's going to take you about 10 to 20 minutes to fill out this form. It's going to ask you some questions that are going to get you thinking real critically about where your willpower fails, about where things are breaking down for you. And it also gives me the crucial information I need to see if I can actually help you. I I might not be able to help you. Some problems are beyond what my scope of experience is. So I'd urge you to go and submit that form if you're serious about really kicking ass in 2019. And I'd also urge you if the, you know, if the uh, holidays are coming around and maybe you've got a little bit more downtime on your hands because you're, you're taking a week uh, or a couple days, hopefully a week, hopefully a couple weeks off work so that you can be a bit more uh, reflective and introspective. I'd encourage you to, to read my new book, which is How to Be Cross-Eyed, Thriving Despite Your Physical Imperfection. And I realize that a lot of, a lot of those of you in my audience are very good-looking people. You might not even have physical imperfections. But I created this book where I synthesize all of the very best life hacks and biohacks that I have written about across hundreds of articles and talked about in hundreds of videos that I've produced over the past seven years that I've really been into this health 
life hacking stuff. And I intertwine and illustrate all of these life hacks and biohacks in this book with a bunch of stories. I've lived a pretty interesting uh, past decade, decade and a half of my life. I've had some, some stories that are really entertaining, really interesting, really illustrative. And I've put them all into this book. It's about a hundred thousand words. So it's something that you could actually read over a Christmas break. It's not like a big long tome like Antifragile or Atlas Shrugged or something like that. So please go and check out some of the sample chapters of that book that I've got up on my Medium profile. I will link to them also. Let's get into the questions here. The first question is someone was responding to some of the content that I've done about tantric sex, because this is something I'm very interested in. It's something that's really enriched my life and enriched the life of a lot of people. But someone asked, any advice to come faster? And that's a man. He says, that's my problem, actually. Smiley face. So this is a more common problem that you might think you see, you know, uh, uh, erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation talked about all the time and joked about, of course. So you might think that that's the main issue that men have, but actually a lot of guys do find it that they find that they just need to have sex for a really long time to actually come or they find that they don't have that great of erections when it actually comes time to get down to business. And there's a lot of things that you can do about this. First, I'll mention NoFab. If you're having problems coming during sex as a man, the the first thing that you should definitely do is quit porn because porn is just this ridiculous overstimulation of your brain. It's a portrayal of this just cartoonishly excessive sexuality and not very many real women in the real world are going to measure up to that. Uh, Erectile dysfunction is a catastrophic and increasingly catastrophic problem actually with young men because young men are so addicted and are using porn as you know a substitute to actual sexual relationships with the opposite sex which is of course really terrible and uh, that's something that can really desensitize and make it difficult to come faster so, but your your comment, you're following my channel, you're commenting on my material, so you're probably already a no fabber or a I think they call them a fabstra knot. So, I'd urge you to take your tantric practice a bit more seriously in the next year, and you'll see your sex life improve. So, what you want to do in a tantric practice, and it seems a little funny, it seems a little weird, but it's what the uh, Taoist gurus have recommended for thousands of years for men to have really amazing sex lives. And that is that you actually want to integrate a conscious, medif- uh, conscious masturbation with your meditation pr- 
practice. So you you lay down to go and do your your meditation mindfulness practice like normal, but you have a little bit of lotion next to you when you're doing it and you masturbate as you are doing your meditation and you focus on deep breathing into your belly as you're doing your masturbation. In fact, the Taoist gurus, they call it self-cultivation. And I think it's it's good to use uh, specific language for this because masturbation is kind of something that we inevitably associate as being kind of shameful and adolescent, right? So you practice this profound breathing deep into your belly as you're doing your self-cultivation for in between 15 to 20 minutes. And while you're doing this, you also focus on flexing your PC muscle on doing a Kegel. And as you're doing this, you're going to just become a whole lot more embodied with your sexuality. We, we, of course, sex is probably the most visceral, physical thing that we do, but because our work and our lives have become so intertwined with technology and computers and non-body activities, our sexuality a lot of times can get disassociative, disassociated also from our body and it, and our sexuality can become really a visual thing. And so you're, unfortunately, especially if you're like most men, if you're like me, that you do have some history with porn, you need to reprogram your sexuality to be focused on what's in between your legs there. So you'll want to follow the 20-day protocol that I have. I have a couple of really good articles. Actually, these are some chapters of my book that I mentioned. I have a 20-day program for self-cultivation where you're going to be kind of stacking these different tantric techniques over the course of 20 days. And for these 20 days, you're you're just going to be self-cultivating, doing it with yourself. So it's not going to be quite as fun and exciting. But devoting a little bit of that time is going to embody your sexuality a lot more to where you are probably getting more aroused and coming faster. So that's a, that's something that I'll link to in the blog article for this podcast. You're definitely going to want to go and check that out. A couple of other things. Increasing circulating nitric oxide makes a big difference in your sexual performance, in your libido. So you want to be eating things before sex that are going to increase circulating nitric oxide. So things like uh, red beets are really good for, for nitric oxide. What also is chocolate? Chocolate is just a natural thing to eat before sex, isn't it? It's one of these classically uh, romantic libido-promoting foods. You want to look up those types of foods and you want to get that sort of thing in your diet. Another big issue that prevents men from enjoying sex is 
alcohol. Yes, you probably already know this. Alcohol is the anti-boner sauce. We've all had that experience when we were out at a great party, enjoying, imbibing with friends, and then it was time to make love to somebody and things were disappointingly flaccid. So I'd recommend trying Phenibut instead. Phenibut is this a GABAergic supplement. It is it is a drug. It can be addictive, so you want to read up and do your research on it before you use it. But Phenibute has a real similar effect to alcohol uh, in that it makes us more social. It makes us enjoy music. It makes us a whole lot more sociable and talkative, but it doesn't have that same effect on our dicks that alcohol does. So check that out. And then recently... I was watching this real interesting video by the guy, uh, he's another herbalist, Taoist guy, I think his, I forget what his name is, but he's with uh, Nyasher, Nyasher, a channel on this sort of thing, and I'll link to his video, and he was talking about this really interesting history of beer, you know, beer has been around since time immemorial, but in the video he was talking about how Hundreds of years ago in Europe, they would make beer out of like fermented herbs. And there'd be all these, these great herbs that are libido promoting and cognition enhancing herbs that they would make beer out of. And that beer was actually kind of a nootropic and libido enhancer back then. But then the German state, I think it was maybe, maybe 200 years ago, the German state introduced this regulation, you know, those Germans always trying to regulate everything. They introduced a regulation that all beer had to be based upon hops and that hops has this really terrible effect on our libido. In fact, there's this, there's this phenomena, I think it's called brewer's, brewer's dick or something like that. And it was this phenomena they found where brewers, people that were working with beer all day long, they really suffered from erectile dysfunction. And this is because the hops are estrogenic. They promote the womanly sex hormone. And people knew this quite a long time ago because they would have a lot of young German maidens. I think the German word for that is uh, Maichen, maybe. They would have a lot of these young maidens that were out there working in the in the fields, uh, picking hops, right? And they would notice that these young women would uh, start flowering into, uh, into real women at an earlier age if they were out there handling a whole lot of hops. So the, the conspiracy theory is kind of that the German government figured out that hops makes a population more womanly. And they were like, if we can suppress the male essence a bit, then we can probably make our population a bit more easier to control. And so they switched everyone over to hops. So try to get, try to get the, uh, that crappy hops based beer out of your diet if you're regularly drinking beer. If you can, try to switch over to more of kind of like these heirloom style European beers that are using all sorts of great organic herbs instead. And you can, you can search, these can be kind of 
hard to find. In fact, I'd love to find some sources for them. It's called, it's called Groot beer, actually, like G-R-U-U-T. I'd, I'd love to try this. I think I, I think I've tried Groot beers in the past, but they're kind of, they're kind of difficult to find. I wish, I wish there was more, uh, knowledge about uh, about this sort of thing, and then there'd be more more demand for it. But I'd encourage you to just do a 60 or 90 day uh, no booze period in the new year so that you get focused, so that you're sober, and see how that affects your sex life. And then, of course, what you want to do is take some libido enhancing herbs. There's a couple herbs that really do work pretty great for, to improve the erection strength, to improve your general level of arousal, which are horny goatweed and long jack tongat ali. And particularly horny goatweed is also a sensation enhancer. I've noticed this a ton of guys have noticed this. If you go out and look at the different forums of men talking about men's stuff, you'll find that a lot of guys say, wow, when I use horny goat weed, it just, it just feels a whole lot better. And that's going to make you, that's going to make you come faster. I'd also encourage you with horny goat weed, try to get the powdered stuff if you can, if you can. I've used the stuff in capsules and I've also used the powdered stuff. And I found that the powdered stuff, I'll put it in a nice tea. I'll make a nice tea with hot water and I'll drink that before sex. And boy, I have some great sex. And you can also experiment a bit more with the, with the dosage of it when you're taking it in tea and it's a whole lot cheaper as a powder. So I'm a big fan of that as opposed to just getting the, the capsuled stuff that you can usually find at almost any pharmacy. I'm a bit suspicious of the actual quality of that stuff. So try horny goat weed. If you haven't, it, it, it makes sex great. Again, I'm telling you. And then there was a guy named Jason who has a great YouTube channel that I'll link to, and he had a couple of suggestions for this also. He mentioned having your girl do kegels. Kegels are a thing that both men and women can do, and women who do kegels have this delightful capacity to flex their pussy tighter around your dick when you're having sex. And after, when women, pre kegels is not an instant satisfaction thing. It's something that men and women need to do for, they need to do consistently for several weeks or several months before it really starts creating some, some beneficial, pleasurable results. You know, it's like any other exercise. If you go to the gym, your muscles are not going to start getting really big after you've only been exercising for a couple of days or a week or two. You need to do it with some consistency and then you'll really start to enjoy it. But if your woman starts doing kegels, she'll be able to kind of massage you while you're inside. And ooh, it is just spine tingling pleasurable. So I think, I think you'll enjoy that some more. Also importantly, as this guy Jason points out, again, 
the huge problem that we have is that everything about modernity just kind of pulls us away from the present. It pulls us away from the experience of being in our bodies and what's going on in our bodies. So you want to make time to do things like meditation and mindfulness. I have a bunch of videos about meditation. Uh, there's a ton of resources for it. So I'll, I'll direct you towards some of those things. But you'll find that when when you do a mindfulness practice consistently, you're able to, when you need to, you're able to drop into the deep now and you're able to actually enjoy what you're doing. You're able to enjoy what's in front of you as opposed to worrying about everything else that's going on in life. Jason also mentioned how his experience of sex, his subjective experience of sex has been increased significantly by taking dopamine supporting nootropics. And this totally makes sense. Dopamine supports the uh, neurobiology of sex and award and arousal. So you'd want to look at dopamine supporting nootropics like Natural Stacks has a stack supplement called dopamine brain food. And you'd also want to consider Macuna Pruins. In my experience, the nootropics that make the biggest difference in sex, it, it, it has to be, it has to be horny goat weed. In, in my experience, I also tried exogenous oxytocin and that didn't make that big of a difference to me. My my probably number one and number two recommendations here would be doing the uh, doing the horny goat weed and then spending a whole like twenty days doing a no fab tantric practice. Okay, a couple other things: antidepressants. If you're using pharmaceutical antidepressants like like Prozac, those mainstream antidepressants that the doctors prescribe to you, those can have a really terrible effect on your libido. So be aware of that. Your testosterone levels have everything to do with your level of libido and if you are coming. And you'll want to read, there's two excellent books that I highly recommend on the tantric stuff, which is The Tao of Health, Sex, and Longevity. And then there's a book entitled The Multi-Orgasmic Man. Wouldn't you like to be multi-orgasmic, man? So check out those two books because they'll they're super eye-opening about a lot of things that are actually kind of under-discussed here in the biohacking health sphere. And then I will finally add to this, well, I'll admit I've actually had kind of a kind of the same problem. You guys know that I've been in a really great relationship with a Bulgarian woman that I actually just married. And I had noticed after we'd been sleeping together for a while, I had noticed every once in a while I would have a poor performance. I had noticed that I would I would just have like poor quality of erections from time to time. And this is of course, this is a major problem. Uh, and in a, in, a, in a way that might seem a bit counterintuitive to men, it's actually kind of a bigger problem for the woman because she has a big 
self-esteem hit. It makes her feel really not very sexy when you can't come or when your erection quality is low. So this really is something that you want to address if you're in a, if you're in a relationship with someone that you actually do care about. And so what I started kind of doing was trying to keep track of the nights when I had really great erections and we had really great sex and then also keep track of the nights when it it wasn't so great. And I noted that there was a couple of factors. And for me, the, the biggest factors I would say were alcohol, eating too much, and being tired. And when there was those, and then also being, being a bit stressed about, about things. Those were the four factors that were really negative for my erections. So uh, what I try to do now is I try to make love to my wife in the early evening, as opposed to really late in the evening when I'm totally exhausted and I am, uh, I'm, I'm trying to cut out like drinking crappy hops based beer. Uh, lately I've been drinking a bit more wine. I'll probably do another sober trip in the New Year's. And then of course, you know, staying consistent with meditation and those things so that my stress levels aren't affecting my relationship. And that's what I've got. Try, try out those things. It's a bunch of different things to do. Uh, I heard an interesting thing on one of the Tim Ferriss podcasts. I think it was Charles Poliquin that said that you want to do what's called the boner test every morning. And every morning you should have what's called morning wood, which is that you have a, a str- you wake up with a strong boner poking up out of your uh, out of your bed sheets just a little bit and if you don't have that consistently in the mornings then it's indicative of some type of health issue that you have some type of testosterone issue that you have so you want to think about those things feel free to get in touch with me if you've got some other questions about this because it really is common with guys in this weird, wacky modernity world of porn and screens and non-stop stress and demands. It really is common for guys of all ages to have uh, sexual issues. And I've, uh, coached with and dealt with all sorts of issues myself. So it actually, I mean, it's it's not gay at all because <laughs> I'm a happily married guy, but I would be happy to talk with anybody that's that's having issues with this. And, and I think I could actually help you have a whole, help you to have a whole lot better sex life. Oh, 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 I want to add just a final thing to this. If you're having problems with erections and coming, you might be having sex with condoms. And of course, condoms totally desensitize the whole experience of sex. And so I'd kind of urge you to think long, long term in your life and think about having sex with someone that you don't need condoms with. I'd urge you to get into a relationship with a really virtuous woman who you could see being the mother of your children or see being a wife or long-term partner. And then you can enjoy that most 
intimate, most exquisite of female embraces without that little millimeter of plastic in there that robs so much pleasure from the experience. And I know in the past, I've had quite the promiscuous sex life and I would use condoms because I would be sleeping with women that I was like, oh God, I don't, I don't even know if I want to see this woman again. <laughs> and uh, I really did need to protect myself. But when you're sleeping with someone that you can see a future with, that you'd like to intertwine your very own genes with, that's, that's not so much of an issue. And boy, it's a lot more fun. Let's move on to the next question, which is also about sex. Someone was asking, will paracetam increase sex drive? And I'm going to say maybe paracetam is the classic smart drug. It's a cognitive enhancer. It's a mitochondrial supporting drug. So it does a lot of really great things for our mind and it does support mitochondria in general, which certainly increases health. But again, if you're looking to increase sex drive, do all the, th all the things that I described there in the, in the previous question. Those things will, will really increase sex drive. Paracetam is something you mostly take so that your memory will be better, so that you'll be more focused, to improve your verbal intelligence, to do all those kind of things. Let's move on to the next question. Someone asked me, they commented on this, this vlog review that I did of the Doublewood Fenibute product that I really enjoyed. And he said, how much do they pay you to advertise their product? And, well, I should just be honest here. I do have a, uh, premium, a premium listing option on my website that I offer to vendors of products. And they pay $89 a year for that. And I, in turn, what I do is I provide a SEO backlink, which is something that's beneficial to any supplement vendor. And then a lot of times companies send me their products for me to review and do. But you'll have to just have a little bit of faith in my good intentions here that I recommend things highly because they work good for me, because they work good for other people, and because I see credible science that backs up the effects desired from them. And that's why I recommend things. I have had plenty of companies send me products that are, that were garbage products, that were not very good products. And, uh, in some cases I posted vlog reviews of their products and I said, Hey, this is a crappy product. People don't waste your time on this. If you go and look at the nootropics reviews playlist on my YouTube channel, you'll find that there's actually a lot of products that I'm honest about that I say, hey, this is really not that good of a value. Or I say, this is just crap, avoid it. Or I say, you know, hey, there's some redeeming features to this product, but there's also some downsides to it. So people do compensate me, but I try to remain as objective as possible. I think if you go and watch all of my reviews instead of just one of them, I think uh, that'll be exceedingly clear. Next question. Someone sent me a message on Facebook, said, hey, 
Hope all is well. What nootropic you think would probably work well for focus and communication? I tend to have a lot of problems with these two since I'm a very anxious person, especially when it comes to going to an interview. I know about Phenibute, but I'm looking for something else that might work better. Okay, so the good news is there's a lot of options. Uh, anxiety and verbal intelligence are two of the main reasons why people take nootropics. So you probably want to start by trying something like paracetam. And paracetam is an extremely popular nootropic. It's been used by probably millions of people. And earlier this year, I did kind of like a anecdote analysis on paracetam. I went through hundreds, if not uh, thousands of different anecdotes. No, 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 probably just hundreds. I went through hundreds of different anecdotes of people talking about their experiences with paracetam. And something that people really consistently talk about is the effect on verbal intelligence and the effect on just their mood and energy. So you'll want to go and check out the videos and material that I have on paracetam because it does work real consistently. For focus, you're going to want to look at something like oxyracetam. Oxyracetam is not really stimulating and it doesn't really stimulate the verbal intelligence either, but it just makes you very focused on what you're doing. You're also going to want to consider modafinil. Modafinil is this hardcore vigilance and focus drug that actually militaries use and there's kind of a spectrum of people's responses to it. Some people don't like it, but a lot of people do respond and say that modafinil makes them very communicative and chatty. So it's worth trying if you haven't tried it. I will link further to a really extensive article that I did, really long, really detailed article I did called The Social Anxiety Protocol for Biohacking confidence. And in there, I list a number of other nootropics and uh, herbal nutraceuticals that increase the amount of amount of uh, confidence that you have in social settings that mitigate your stress response in a way that doesn't kind of make you dumb and that tranquilize you just a little bit so you're in this sweet spot of, of relaxed arousal. There's a number, number of things to consider, like Phenibute, which you mentioned. There's things like the adaptogens, rhodiola and ashwagandha. There's things like crotum. You might want to consider aniracetam because a lot of people find that aniracetam really works on anxiety for them. So I'd urge you to go and check out and follow the social anxiety protocol and then uh, send us a follow-up in a couple weeks or a couple months. Let us know how that's working for you. Another question came from someone named Ryanaz. He said, bro, I just ordered a Drafenil online. Do you think it might help me cope with the increasing demands of medical college? And does a Drafenil differ from Modafinil at any aspect other than the time to kick in? Yeah, a Drafenil. People will sometimes ask this silly hypothetical question and say, if you could pick one thing to remove from the world, 
what would it be? And people will say things like, world hunger. Well, for me, it would be a draphanil because a draphanil is just a really crappy drug. It's the, it's like the legacy version of modafinil. It's about 40 years old, I think. And it doesn't work very consistently. It works a little bit. I have used adrafinil and I have experienced uh, cognitive enhancement from adrafinil, but it's really inconsistent. It has a really steep tolerance curve. So you'll, you'll lose, you'll use it one day and it'll work good, but then you'll try and use it again the next day and it won't work at all or, or it'll work halfway or it'll give you a brain fog, or it'll really mess with your sleep. It's just a really inconsistent smart drug, and it causes liver damage when used in the long term, which modafinil does not. So if you are looking for a a study drug, look look at modafinil. Modafinil is a really classic study drug. There's there's a reason why it's so popular, but it's not the only study drug. There, there's a lot of other options that are out there. You'd want to look at paracetam that I mentioned earlier. You'd want to actually consider the paracetam protocol, which combines paracetam with several other nootropics that have synergistic mechanisms that accounts for the uh, long-term exhaustion of neurochemical pathways in the mind, that, that's a really good idea. So consider modafinil. If modafinil is too expensive, look at the paracetam protocol. Moving on to the next question, inspired by Bliss said, by the way, I want to ask you what supplement do you recommend as an MAOI, that's a uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitor, or something that works like Selegiline, selegiline. I actually don't know how to say that word properly because I haven't, I haven't studied that particular drug thoroughly. That inhibits inhibits MAOB, but at a higher dose, but also gets MAOA. I want something that is a hybrid or that can be combined to have similar effects like selegiline. And I did a little bit of research on this. You'd want to consider rasagiline. And this is a novel MAOB inhibitor and MAOA inhibitor that might work better than Celagine for you. But what it actually urge you to do is consider taking and using high quality, organic, properly sourced rhodiola. And rhodiola is a uh, MAOI uh, it's an it's it's an inhibitor that inhibits A and B from a 2009 Italian study. The present investigation demonstrates that rhodiola has a potent antidepressant activity by inhibiting MAOA and may also find applications in the control of senile dementia with their inhibit inhibition of MAOB and rhodiola is. One of the nutraceuticals with probably the very best 
evidence from clinical trials underlying its effectiveness in beating depression, in improving mood, in generally supporting our health. So I, I suggest that before you get really deep into this world of pharmaceuticals, of trying to balance one thing with another thing and account for a deficiency with a third thing, I'd, I'd encourage you to try rhodiola because it's been used for thousands of, of years and it really is a very safe nutraceutical that many millions and or, Probably millions of people around the world have used safely to deal with their depression or uh, support their health to fight chronic illness. What you could do if you want Inspired by Bliss is send me an email or a private message via the form on my website and describe a little bit more the specific issue that you're trying to address here. And maybe I can recommend some more things. But I would say that before you go and spend a whole lot of money on these pharmaceutical drugs, try rhodiola. And uh, powdered organic rhodiola is uh, surprisingly affordable compared with uh, a lot of these drugs that are out there. Next question, final question. A guy had a really, really intellectual response to my podcast that I did entitled Simulation Theory Legitimizes Religion. He said, those who say, why would God allow bad things to happen to good people don't understand Stoic philosophy and hormetics. Bad things make us stronger and help us progress faster. Why would God rob you of a growing event? If God didn't allow anything bad to happen to you, then it would be harder for you to progress or you wouldn't progress at all, which is the definition of being damned. I tend to believe what James Allen basically said in Path of Prosperity. Evil is just an opinion based on ignorance. Hmm. Everything everything is good. What you call evil is just a blessing and an opportunity to learn and progress. Nothing that happens to you in this life matters. What you do or don't do in this life doesn't matter. The lessons you learn are all that matters, which fits in very well with simulation theory. One's opinion of God is a reflection of one's mentality. This is apparent in the Old Testament. The legalese and constantly asking God to kill their enemies tells me the authors are evil and are laying the framework for a higher law, but you can still see the low mentality of the authors. Other books in the Bible build upon the lower law and the concepts in the New Testament. Belief in any higher power is not necessary, but if properly used, can help you th keep things in context. Oh boy, this gives me a whole lot to think about. So there's there's a view of truth that is, okay, there's a couple of different, I'm going to say there's kind of two conflicting views of truth. And if you want to see these two views of truth 
butting heads, you'll want to go and listen to this podcast, which was a debate between Professor Jordan Peterson of Canada and the uh, neuroscience philosopher Jordan, no, 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 not, not Jordan, Sam Harris. And in, in this debate, uh, Sam Harris is taking, I think, kind of like an, an empiricist view on truth, which is that uh, one plus one equals two, two plus two equals four, the sky is blue, that sort of thing, that truth is a very empirical. Truth is an empirical thing. And then Jordan Peterson has this view that truth is that which has the highest utility. And it was a while back that I listened to this podcast, but kind of the, the position of Jordan Peterson is that is that something like a belief in God or a belief in a religion or an afterlife is truth because these are high utility beliefs. Uh, if you if you believe in an afterlife, if you believe that you're going to be like judged for your sins, if you believe that your existence in the future after you end up going into the ground and being food for worms is going to be a reflection of the good and bad decisions that you've made, then you're going to make Often, if your intelligence, if you take a population that has an IQ that averages out to be about 100 or more, people are going to generally make better decisions. And you're generally, there's going to be exceptions, of course, and people are going to make a big deal out of the exceptions. But in general, if you have a system of belief that encourages people to make better decisions, you're going to end up having a more cohesive, better society. So I'm a bit conflicted between these two views on things. And I'll actually, I'll go a little bit deeper on my my conflict on this. For a long time when I was younger, I was an evangelical Christian. I was very, very devout, zealous, practicing evangelical Christian. But then I read a couple of, I read different books on atheism and I listened to and watched various documentaries about atheism. And eventually the atheistic arguments convinced me to uh, give up my faith and go over to the atheism side of things. But when, when I look back at my life as an atheist, which has maybe been like the past 10 years, I can see how I made some morally questionable decisions. And I can see how I made some decisions that I definitely wouldn't have made if I believed in uh, the Christian system, in the Christian God, if I believed that I might go to hell, if I believed that I was going to be judged for my sins. So I'm at kind of an interesting crossroads in faith where I can see where I, I find uh, an I find an, an atheism, a lot of the atheism arguments very compelling. You know, I say, hey, if God really is totally good, if God is the most good thing in the universe, why would he allow really bad things to happen to good people? That just doesn't 
makes sense because I am more powerful than, say, my wife's little dog. And so if my wife's little dog is doing something stupid like eating food that it shouldn't be eating, I prevent it from making bad decisions that are going to hurt it. And so if there's a God who's infinitely better than me, wouldn't that God prevent bad things from happening to me? And of course, there's there's uh, the view that this guy, the commenter, responder uh, has, which is that you know, God allow, God might allow bad things to happen to good people to allow them to grow stronger and become better. And as part of their ultimate journey to being a, you know, a fully actualized human being or whatever. But there's also, uh, life and history is rife with counterexamples. It's rife with bad things that just happened randomly to people and countries and families that were just terrible things where there was no upside whatsoever. So that that was not a higher power putting a personal growth challenge. That was just the entropy of the universe or the evil of uh, fellow human beings uh, enacted out on each other. So I'm still trying to figure, I'm still trying to figure out where I lie in between there. And I'm deeply considering re-embracing my old religion because I know that I can always have a, a quantum of doubt in the back of my mind. But I know that if I get plugged into a church and I start practicing and I'm reading the Bible and doing all that stuff that Christians do, I know that even though I have a little bit of doubt in the uh, intellectual, uh, logical, empirical foundation of that faith, I know that it's going to actually help me to live better and make better decisions and uh, treat people better. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a difficult question. And I'd kind of urge people to stay away from, there's this nihilist, there's this nihilist view that if you take a strictly materialistic view of the universe, you're going to turn into this nihilist that says that, well, you know, we're just atoms bumping into it. We're just a, a amalgamation of atoms that are in a deterministic way bumping into each other on their pathway towards the end of the universe, towards the great lights out moment in billions and billions of years when that last little photon peters out, right? And nothing really matters. So fuck it. Let's, you know, smoke some weed, do some heroin, and just look at some good porn on the internet, right? I, I urge people to stay away from that nihilistic view. And the point that I was making in this article, in the simulation theory article, is that the simulation theory uh, adds some legitimacy to a metaphysical view of the world, and that there's this phenomena of metaphysical things, things like UFO sightings, things like uh, psychic phenomena that are observable, but we don't know, we don't have a good scientific answer for them at this point. And I'm saying that maybe the world is not quite as materialistic as you think it might be, nihilistic guy. Anyways, that's my rant on that. As always, I wish you a, uh, I, I, well, I wish you a happy holidays. And as always, 
I look forward to a continued conversation with you.